So um, the Lord finally dwells with His people, and He does so through the baptism with the Holy Spirit in immersing His followers, His people in the Spirit, in the Holy Spirit. And He has made them, as was uh, explained in 1 Peter, He has made them a kingdom of priests. Everybody has access to God through His own personal presence. Now, um, I, I mentioned before, many of you, many of us, were brought up in a kind of a stream of the Protestant evangelical church called Pentecostal. So this is familiar for a lot of us. And there's a reason why Pentecostals prioritize seeking an additional experience with the Holy Spirit that's available after being born again and indwelt with the Holy Spirit, right? If you're new to the Christian faith, this, I, I know this could be like, uh-oh, I think I'm getting lost. I, I recognize that. Um, so let me say that again. There's a reason why Pentecostals believe, and this is the reason, that there's a second and subsequent experience to repenting, being regenerated, and then having the indwelling Holy Spirit within them. Um, and the reason is because after being born again and after receiving Jesus, Pentecostals can point out where in the book of Acts where there was a second and subsequent infilling of the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit overflowed. And there were uh, ways in which you can see and discover that. So check this out. This is Acts chapter 8. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there, right? So now we're talking about Jerusalem, um, they were in Jerusalem, then they hear about what's happening in Samaria. They had accepted God's message in Samaria. So Peter and John take off, and as soon as they arrive, what did they do? They prayed for these new believers. And what did they pray for the new believers? They prayed specifically that they would receive the Holy Spirit. When did they do that? As soon as they arrived. As soon as they arrived. So if you... Um, grew up in a different tribe, a different stream, a different segment of the church, and you wouldn't consider yourself someone who's grown up in a Pentecostal church, um, if you're here today or you're listening on the live stream, would you do something with me? Take a deep breath right now. Take a deep breath and relax and relax. Take a deep breath and relax. I am going to show you where in the Scriptures that Pentecostal people come up with their convictions, okay? I'm going to show you. Um, and I, I, I promise you that I am not going to, um, I don't know if I can say I'm not going to make you feel uncomfortable because I've never been able to do that ever. Um, but I promise you, I am simply hoping to um, show you some things that perhaps you've not seen. Is that okay? Everybody comfortable? I'm only getting a few nods, but that's okay. I know this is... And you remember at the beginning, I was like, you know, the church has got a lot of division and disunity. A lot of it is around uh, the, the arrival and the, and the way that the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and in our churches. So I recognize that. But I just want you to see this real quick. So we've got Peter and John. There's new believers in Samaria. They take off from Jerusalem to get to Samaria, and they're like, where's the new believers? Where's the new believers? I want to talk to them. And here's what, they, here's what they do. They pray that those new believers would receive the Holy Spirit as soon as they arrived. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. For they had, been, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. So, um, here's what we see right here in the book of Acts, that new believers were baptized in the Spirit. These are new believers that it's very, very well documented, and, te- and, and Pentecostals believe that new believers are regenerated, and they have an indwelling Spirit of Jesus. Indwelling Spirit of Jesus. Because I've heard that over time, too, when, um, when I'm having these kinds of conversations with some people who are uh, insightful and they're well-taught uh, and, and, and kind of well-learned about some of these topics, they'll, they'll mention that it's the Pentecostals who, who don't believe that regenerated people have the indwelling Holy Spirit, and the proof is that they're, they're, they're seeking us another baptism, right? So, um, bear with me. So, I want you to notice that they prayed for believers who have... Uh, already believed. They, they prayed for uh, people who have already believed who'd only been baptized in the name of Jesus, right? An indwelling spirit. And kind of, we kind of see that earlier with the disciples. Remember when Jesus breathed on them? I mean, there's a lot of scholars who think uh, that's when the regenerated spirit of Jesus kind of filled them and, and they were born again at that point and others who are like, eh, not too sure about that. Um, these new believers still hadn't received this immersive filling or infilling and overflowing of the Holy Spirit. They hadn't yet received it. So, this is their second and subsequent Holy Spirit experience. Um, And it's distinct from the indwelling Spirit that Jesus, um, of course, uh, breathes on His followers and they're regenerated. So, I also want you to notice real quick how they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Uh, One time they were baptized with the Holy Spirit when they were listening. There was another time they were baptized with the Holy Spirit when the apostles laid hands on them. So, two ways that we see in Acts that someone experienced this. So, here's here's where it gets really, really wild. Um, Under your breath, just whisper, "It's, it's it's about to get wild. It's about to get wild. Um, still going to get wild in the Scripture. It's going to get wild in the Bible. Uh, one of my favorite Baptist uh, preachers and teachers of all time, his name is Sam Storms. He is a Baptist teacher, seminarian, and scholar who teaches um, really everything we're going to cover today. And, and, and he says, biblical people are people of the Spirit. Why? Because people of the Spirit and the work of the Spirit is where? In the Bible. Right, so, so how did they know they were baptized with the Spirit? Something kept happening to them. Something kept happening to them. Um, and here's what we see. There's a pattern in the book of Acts. There's a pattern of evidence for Holy Spirit baptism. Somehow, people knew that they were being filled with the Spirit, and it wasn't because they were like, all of a sudden, the Incredible Hulk, is it Lou Frigno? Remember Lou Frigno? God rest his soul. I'm kidding. I think he's still alive. He is. If I haven't seen them in the public eye, it's like Richard Simmons. I was like, God rest his soul. Is he dead? I don't know, but he hasn't been exercising on TV in like decades. So, um, this power, something happens, and it's not the power to transform from a human to some supernatural superhero. There are three snapshots from some compelling spirit baptism stories, and those spirit baptism stories are Acts 2, we see it in Acts 10, and Acts 19. 
Here it is, Acts chapter 2, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages. And, and I'm going to say from the beginning, I think this goes for me too, the reason why some of what we're going to hear today about what we were seeing, which is the evidence of speaking in other languages, kind of weirds people out because most of us, myself included, have only ever seen speaking in tongues used, abused, or misused. You know what I mean? Used, abused, or misused. And when that happens, you know what happens to the church body? Disunity, dysfunction, uh, disorder, um, and eventually it leads to fragmented, divided churches where we start to have denominations that are started over a certain way to interpret a certain non-essential doctrine. And then before you know it, we've got 166 denominations who say, well, we're different from the other Christians because of the way we interpret these little passages. But here we, here we go. Speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. So where do they get the ability for these, these special spiritual languages? The Holy Spirit was giving them the ability to do that. Who was filled? Everyone was. Who spoke in other languages? Everyone did. So in chapter 10, as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. And the Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. How do they know that the gift of the Holy Spirit, if they're not like pulling up ripped like the Hulk and they weren't looking like the Hulk to begin with or didn't have some kind of changing color from flesh color to green, how did they know that they were filled with this gift of the Holy Spirit? How do they know it was poured out on them? They heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. There was a evidence of that happening. Then when Paul, this is Acts chapter 19, then when Paul laid his hands, right? Peter was preaching and they heard it. Now they're, getting their, uh, they're laying hands on these uh, new believers. The Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. Now, you may not be familiar with speaking in tongues or speaking in other languages, so that's what I was hoping to kind of cover a little bit today. And what that means is that there is a language that um, it's described this way, scholars describe it this way, it's a divine enabling of a believer to, sp to speak in a prayer language or a heavenly language is one way it's described. It's unknown to the speaker, but inspired by and empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's what's, um, that's what's being described. And the gift of tongues may be used to personally praise God. It goes this way. And then there's a different gift that's not a personal evidence. There's a different gift that's in the book of uh, Corinthians where we see that it's listed as one of the gifts and it goes with the gift of interpretation where God strengthens and edifies the church body publicly. And um, it's supplemented by the gift of interpretation to edify and strengthen the church. So obviously if everybody's hearing this foreign language or this spiritual language and nobody knows what is being said, there's a corresponding gift of interpretation which explains it and the idea is in the New Testament that Paul says, then and only then can everybody be edified or encouraged or strengthened. And this is an experience that's embraced by a segment of what you all or many of us are familiar with is a Pentecostal evangelical church. Right, And this belief is, uh, comes out of this group of people, the way that they interpret these passages in Acts and Corinthians, it comes out of a group of people called Pentecostals. Um, so what are Pentecostals? 
for a lot of people, based on experiences and seeing and observing and watching other people's quote-unquote Pentecostal charismatic experience, it seems like it's the Pentecostals are the wild uncle who shows up at the family reunion. Probably been drinking a little too much, but still a little bit fun, but I wouldn't want to do what they're doing. You know what I mean? So, but Pentecostals are just one of a variety of ways to interpret what they're seeing in the book of Acts and in Corinthians. One of a variety of ways of interpreting it. Um, There's three distinctive aspects. I'm going to give you this real quick, real quick. Three distinctive aspects of Pentecostal perspective, okay? Um, Here's the first one, that Holy Spirit baptism and gifts are continuing. That in the Christian faith, a continuationist believes the gifts of the Holy Spirit, tongues, healing, prophecy, are still active and available to all believers. And that they weren't just limited to the early Christian church, but that they, should be conti- that they should continue on and be practiced. So that's one major aspect of what Pentecostals believe. And they would point out that in the New Testament, Paul kind of gives the green light when he says things like he does in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. He says, continually be filled with the Spirit. Actually, using the phrase in the original language, continue on or continuing Uh, continue on to be baptized or to be filled with the Spirit. And then he says in Corinthians, eagerly desire the special abilities that the Holy Spirit gives. He says love is most important, right? That's the essential. And then eagerly desire these special abilities. And he also says to the church, he says, I wish that all of you could speak in tongues. I wish that, um, uh, um, in fact, all of you, I wish, even more so that you would prophesy. He's wishing that it would continue there among the local church. And there's another biblical conviction of Pentecostals too, and it's this one, that there's a personal overflow of the Spirit when the Spirit baptizes, and that overflow of the Spirit is still available to all. It's personal, it's private, it's individual. It's not necessarily something people know about or hear about or see demonstrated in public worship, but it's a person who speaks in in tongues, Paul says in Corinthians, is strengthened personally. Their inner life, their spirit is strengthened personally, Paul says. And he says that they should aspire to pray with understanding too. So their mind understands what their spirit is praying or their mind understands what they're expressing in praise to God. But there's an inner edification, he says, an inner strengthening that occurs that's personal. It's personal praying in the spirit, a personal prayer language, words that are given by the, the, the Spirit. And then the next one and last one is this, that there is a, another way in which the Holy Spirit works through this gift of tongues, which is that there is a gift that's only given to some for public settings. So everyone has access, he says, to the personal, private edification of a prayer language, but that publicly, corporately, there's a gift of tongues and interpretation given only to some people. And this is, again, very, very, this is kind of where some who are like Sam Storm splits away and says, this is only ever how the gift of tongues is given. It's not an evidence of being baptized with the Spirit. It's a gift given by the Spirit. So there's like, eventually the hairs start to get split. And then someone's like, oh, we just split a hair. Let's start a denomination. Let's be another distinct and, and um, another divided part of the... So, um, 
This is separate. And, you know, Paul says, are we all gifted in these areas? No, of course we're not. He says, are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Paul says in Corinthians, do we all have the power to do miracles, the gift of healing, the ability to speak in tongues and interpret? He says, of course not. That some do, some have unique special giftings that the Holy Spirit um, causes and creates. So, but he says, you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts for the body. Earnestly desire. So, prayer language, personal and private. Gift of tongues with an interpretation, a public gift um, given for the strengthening of the church. Um, and there's, there's a lot that can be said about our experiences and whether or not they have actually edified or strengthened the church, right? Um, so, non-Pentecostals. Non-Pentecostals would express this. This is why there's a Pentecostal tribe, and it's distinct from the other parts of the church family, and here's why. Because non-Pentecostals, they believe, when they look at the book of Acts and they look at Corinthians, some of the things I've just mentioned, here's what they say. The Holy Spirit, baptism, and spiritual gifts ceased. That those were special to the biblical time period to bring explosive power for the launch of the church. And then now, that type of Holy Spirit baptism power, speaking in tongues and gifts are no longer needed. Why? Because now we have the New Testament and we can read and experience the illuminated truth of the Word of God and we can rest and rely on the Bible. We don't need these explosive power gifts that actually were used by God to launch the early church. Does that make sense? And so what non-Pentecostals would say is everything we're reading in Acts is real and legit and we ought to know it and study it, but we also need to recognize that at some point or other they ceased and we don't need to rely on them anymore because we could rely fully on the Bible. Make sense? So Pentecostals say this work continues, spirit baptism continues. Non-Pentecostals would say it's legit and real, but it has ceased no longer necessary or valid in modern times. So, um, in Acts chapter 19, it's an amazing story. Paul, the apostle, um, he and Apollos are in Corinth. And then Paul travels through, through all of these interior regions. Eventually, he makes it to Ephesus. And Ephesus would be very similar to what we would experience in American city. Um, dynamic and dramatic commerce, wealth, uh, civilization is thriving uh, according to the ancient standards. And he arrives at Ephesus, which is on the coast, where he finds several believers. And you know what he says to the believers when he finds them? This is, this is incredible. He's in Ephesus, he comes across some believers, and he says to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And think of all the things Paul could have said. Think of the, all the things Paul could have said when he bumps into some believers. Where do you go to church? Oh my gosh, here's my live stream. Let me give you the link. Think of the things that Paul could have said um, about all the evil that's going on in Ephesus and the, and, the, and the Roman Empire and so on. Instead, what does he say? He sees new believers and he walks up to them. I'm assuming he walks up and he says to them, you're believers, you're following Jesus? I gotta ask you a question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And of course, they weren't 
reading the Scripture like we do now, and they didn't say, well, we're sure that we received the baptism of Jesus. We have, been in, we have an indwelling spirit that regenerated. Our, they didn't say that. They, they said, huh? Who, what in the world is that? And Paul says, then what baptism did you experience? And they replied, we received the baptism of John, right? It was water baptism. They were repenting of their sins. And Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance. And it called for repentance from sin. But John himself said to believe in the one who would come after him. Of course, that's Jesus. And as soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Then when Paul comes and lays his hands on them, in Acts chapter 19, we see the Holy Spirit came on them. What happened to them? Paul lays hands on them, the Holy Spirit comes on them. How do we know that that happened? Because they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. Now, I would love to see what that looked like. Wouldn't you in real life, real person? I'd love to see what that looked like. But we know that Paul is... Uh, it's being recorded that Paul notices and hears them speaking in tongues and prophesying. So what now, real quick? Real quick. Um, as soon as they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit, something happened. And we want to do the same thing among our church family, to be biblical people who are experiencing everything God has for us as followers of Jesus, everything He has. So that means that every now and then we get to ask this question that Paul asked of believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Did you receive? Now, I count myself among all of you who are very suspicious of inauthentic experiences. I am with ya. I don't want to fake it till I make it. I don't want to pretend. I don't want to seem spiritual, even if it's inauthentic, so that people are impressed by my spirituality. I don't want anything, I don't want to experience anything that God hasn't designed me for and intended for me to experience. I want discernment and I want, and I have, a craving for the real thing. And I'm assuming that I'm with a lot of you on that, or a lot of you are with me on that. No? Yes? Real thing. I don't want anyone I'm responsible for injured by distortion, um, uh, division, misinform- misinformed church people, especially people um, who are sincerely looking for the real thing. But I also, and I wonder who's with me on this, I also don't want to miss out on what God has for me because I've seen or experienced the inauthentic. Or I've seen and experienced um, the plastic banana fakey fake. Or a counter... counter (laughs) Did you catch that? Play it back, you'll hear that. Play it back, you'll hear it. The counterfeit shenanigans of people who are manipulating sincere believers. I'm with you. Totally with you. In fact, this reminds me of something. Um, I have... Um, well, let me, let me put it this way. So I, I want to be careful that 
I don't keep myself, and I, and I wonder if you would join me on this. I don't want to keep myself, and I hope you can see where I'm going with this. I don't want to keep myself from exploring the power and presence of God because somebody else misused and abused it. And this reminds me of something. Um, I have been taking CrossFit classes for um, quite a while now. And I think this is probably true in all of your areas that you have a hobby or recreation or something that you do. You probably get this a lot too. But um, it, is, it is very, very common for me to have a conversation with somebody and they bring up something about CrossFit that's completely counterfeit. And they bring it up to me, which is understandable. And basically, here's what they say. Isn't CrossFit like... Aren't there... It's dangerous, right? I mean, obviously it's dangerous. And um, they'll say something like, I mean, most people get hurt, right? Or they'll say something like, oh, I used to do CrossFit, but I'm never going to do it again. I didn't know what I was doing. I was there all by myself, hurting myself, doing dangerous things um, recklessly. And I left the CrossFit gym, and they'll say this, because I didn't want to hurt myself. And, 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 And I have to, and this is what I start thinking, I didn't have that experience. I haven't had that experience. Um, And and it occurs to me in that moment, you can't, this is what I want to say and I don't because I I don't want to lose friends. I say you can't reject and discard CrossFit because you experienced a poor version of it somewhere else. I mean, let me ask you this. Have any of you ever spent time at a different church or church background and you had a bad experience? Did it take you a while to kind of open yourself up again to participate in a church family? And here's what we're hoping. We're hoping that when you're in that bad experience, you're not thinking things like, oh, this is, this is what church is. This is what church people are like. This is all they all ever believe. Bad experience with a distorted version, cannot lead us to discard the real thing. And I, by the way, over the course of many, many years, am telling myself that. A bad experience with a distortion cannot force me to discard the real thing. I'll never forget when my father-in-law told me that he hated steak. And the reason I never forget it is because I can't forgive him. No, I'm only kidding. And then, over the course of time in relating with and being with um, my wife and her family, do you know what I discovered? My father doesn't hate steak. He hates blackened, charbroiled, meaty hockey pucks. That's what he hates. I also hate those steaks. You know what I'm saying? And it would make me crazy, I mean, it wouldn't make me crazy, but it would get my attention when someone says like him, I don't like steak, and then you're thinking to yourself, have you ever had a real steak? Some people do that with coffee too. Oh, I hate coffee. Oh, really? Have you had a real coffee? Oh my gosh, yes. I used to go to Tim Hortons all the time. <laughs> I mean, I just can't do it anymore. No more, I'm not, I just can't do, I can't do the half a cup of sugar, and I can't do the half a cup of cream anymore. And what are you thinking? Like, have you tried real coffee? Have you ever tried that before? So, how do you do CrossFit properly then? There's a class. 
You start with little lightweight pipes. There's a coach who's certified to teach the class. I sound angry. I'm not angry. I'm not angry. I'm not angry. I'm just like, let's go. Let's go. Come on. I'm not angry. There's a class, coach, certified. You know what they're thinking first? Everybody has to leave here in the same or better condition than they left. Can't afford to have anybody get hurt. Join a legit CrossFit gym. Make sure the coach, it's legit if it has a certified coach and trainer. Get to class consistently and focus on making progress. This is what it might look like with instruction and specifics and everybody knowing what they're doing and it's well-taught and well-trained and so on. And if you do the authentic program in the way that you're supposed to, do you know what happens? You get authentic results. Um, This is me last August, so this is, you get results. That was like August though, I mean, it was like months ago. So, I want to I want to I want to invite you to do something. I'm asking you to, if if um, you're willing to discover more of the power that God has available to you as we close this up, the daily power that you need to go and show Jesus. Or if you're newer, or you're from a conservative church background and you're attending here with us, if you were taught that the powerful um, or personal experiences with the whole uh, the Holy Spirit diminishes the Bible, which is I, I know that that's a uh, or or some I've heard this too that all of the ways in which someone appears to be uh, operating in the gifts of the Spirit or speaking in tongues are, are it's demonic I've, I've heard that too um, and maybe you're one of those people like I got to get out of here I have got some people already have I got to get out of here um, here's what I'm wondering. Uh, I'm wondering if it's possible that um, you would be open to continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, Would you consider protecting? Would you stay in unity with us? Would you consider protecting and embracing the freedom that we need that's available in non-essentials? Um or in peripheral doctrines. You know, I think it's, I don't some of you have come across this already, but here among the North Central Church family, we have a unique combination of church backgrounds. Did you know that? We are not all cut from the same exact tribe. We have so many different backgrounds, and uh, we, have, uh, we, we have Pentecostals, we have Charismatics, we have people who are former Catholics, we have Baptists, Anglicans, Presbyterians. Everybody gathers, and what do we gather around on Sunday morning? It's not a style of worship. It is the person and work of Jesus, which is transformational to everyone, no matter what faith background you're from. And the unity that we have is around the essential doctrines of who Jesus is, the reliability of the Scripture, the nature of God, and how it is that we come to saving faith. And then there's some things around that that we call peripherals. Check this out. This is something that we teach in the Roots track. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, freedom. This is how we are able to remain in unity with all those different backgrounds in a church family. In essentials, we're going to stay unified. If you come to me and you say, Pastor, I really love this church, and I'm so happy that you're open to the idea that you can be saved by God through Jesus or something or someone else. I'll be like, 
come to a screeching stop. Why? Because salvation through faith by the grace of God for us is something that we're unified around. It's essential. It's not Jesus and or Jesus plus, right? But in non-essential doctrines or non-essential aspects of the way we interpret Scripture, there's freedom. It means that if you interpret the baptism with the Holy Spirit in a different way, if you're kind of a Sam Storms guy and you're like, ah, it's probably not an evidence, it's just a gift and some people have this gift and others don't, we can be friends. In fact, we can do better than that. We can be members together because we're not gathering around these nuances of doctrine. We are gathered around something we're sure of, which is the transformational power of knowing, loving, serving, adoring Jesus. So, and there's a lot of church, by the ways. Unlike a lot of churches, you can belong here, even if you don't interpret every Bible the same way that everyone else does. Today, through Jesus and the power He has given us to His followers, God's Spirit continues to hover over a dark and chaotic world. The Holy Spirit is still very much present. And that Holy Spirit in our lives and through our lives is slowly healing that brokenness and disorder and working towards the day, one day where we'll all be restored. Let's pray together.